All right, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly, and it's episode number 457. Hope everybody is uh, self-isolating, quarantining, whatever uh, you're doing and doing it well, following the rules of your local uh, governments. Um, and uh, yeah, we just uh, hope uh, everybody's keeping safe and healthy and happy. Uh, Brianna, how are you this week? I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, I just decided today, like I needed to put on some red lipstick, it's just going to make me feel like somewhat normal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been doing good. We are all still, you know, hanging out in the house and outside of the house, just trying to get in some exercise time, keep my mind, you know, fresh as possible. And, um, yeah, I mean, and getting used to working from home as the new normal with kids in the house. So all new adjustments, but we're getting there. I think we're, we're doing pretty good. How's your family hanging in there? Yeah, we're doing good. Yeah. I mean, just lots of uh, together time, a lot of walks and puzzles and games and reading and cooking and stuff like that. I even baked bread last week. Like super. Wow. Yeah, I, know, I know it's weird. Um, so yeah, but it's, uh, it's been good. It's been good so far. No, uh, no big complaints or uh, issues. So yeah, it's not all bad, right? There's not all bad. Like time the, to slow down a little bit and be with the ones you love. Is exactly. Not, yeah. Um, I think we'll all come out of this much more, uh, connected to our, uh, our loved ones. So yeah, for good or bad, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got a good show for you this week, a little bit different. Um, we've got uh, four industry news stories just to kind of keep up on some of the things that are going on in the world. Um, and then we're going to have a bit of a discussion uh, about uh, location data and government use cases of that data around um, you know this, uh, this crisis that we're dealing with right now and whether that's a good thing or not. So... Um, yeah, so I'll let Aubriana kick it off as, as normal. All right. Uh, well, this story comes from Amsterdam, and this is more of a fundraiser uh, type of um, an announcement, but there's a, a company out of Amsterdam called UNL, and they tout themselves as a smart addressing platform for navigation and location-based services, and they've raised $2 million in seed funding. Now, What's kind of interesting about this, though, is that um, they are trying to build what they are calling the Internet of Places and bring, you know, the rest of the world's population into this digital economy. So they say that there's like a large percentage of people who don't necessarily have, um, I guess, that 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 digital connectivity. And so they're providing anyone with a unique address um, or making any physical spot a point of sale uh, delivery and payment. So they're adding these, this, what they're calling it like a programmable layer to real life um, locations. Um, so that's their definition of the internet of places. Um, but what's interesting about this fundraising is that it was re uh, led by here technologies. And we know here they've been in the space for a long time. Um, and then another VC out of Singapore um, called Elevate. And there were some other investors as well. Um, that you know were were involved, but um, they just came out of the the mobile accelerator program SOSV um, 
uh, about a year ago. So they're obviously like doing well and, and growing. Um, the company is planning on using this funding to develop technology um, infrastructure and expand operations in global markets, starting with Asia. You know, my first thought when I read about this company a little bit was what three words, of course. Mm -hmm. um, it sounded very similar to me in terms of what they're trying to do. Um, and maybe I'm just not understanding it fully in terms of what exactly they're trying to do. But to me, this sounds like this is sort of like what three words is doing, except maybe what three words is taking those places that do not always have a, um, a unique location or a unique address. Um, and they're giving that a, you know, three words, whereas this sounds like they are only working with the ones that have a unique address. I'm not really sure. But I'd love to understand a little bit more, but um, I think this is definitely one that we should keep an eye on, UNL uh, from Amsterdam. Yeah, that was my first thought too, uh, was what three words, and obviously, uh, you know, those guys have been growing by leaps and bounds. I can remember the days uh, when they were just starting out. I was on the initial advisory board of that company back uh, when they started uh, in the UK and, um, you know, have grown really, really quickly, especially in partnerships with the car companies. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, I think, it, you know, just kind of reading from the story here, I would say, you know, where what three words, as you said, is really about giving any place an address point, you know, even places that don't have, uh, you know, uh, actual addresses to like, you know, a spot in the middle of the jungle or, uh, you know, a lot of the initial use cases of what three words were, you know, sort of UN, uh, UNESCO, you know, uh, type of, you know, sort of uh, bringing um, goods into places that, you know, were difficult to get goods into because there was no address for you know FedEx to deliver to or those types of things, um, and so um, you know I, I see this quite similar as you as you indicated. But for me, if if I'm reading it correctly, I think this programmable layer of you know, sort of uh, focusing on having these addresses be uh, places that you can uh, look at as um, point of sale and payment. Uh, platforms as well so like basically it's an address but it's also a, a transaction point um, I think that there may be a, a you know some sort of distinction there um, again I need to dig into this a lot more as well but uh, you know I mean coming in you know uh, a year out of the innovation accelerator program there two million bucks uh, pushing into Asia sounds sounds super interesting I have to get the uh, our Amsterdam chapter plugged into these guys and see uh, what more we can learn about them so uh, congrats to URL. So there you go. All right, second story. Uh, moving over to Turkey now. Um, so kind of in line of what's going on with uh, you know the uh, the COVID nineteen uh, virus and you know it being a global thing and not just focused on one market. Uh, uh, a Turkish company called Electral. It's spelled E L E K T R A L. Um, has uh, developed and is releasing vending machines um, that carry uh, masks and uh, disinfectant wipes uh, and those types of things um, that obviously people need uh, at this time. And they're deploying these vending machines into airports and subway stations in Istanbul. Obviously, Istanbul is a, a very uh, heavily populated city in the world. Um, so, you know, when you have that type of population, you need to get these things out to people. And, and I think uh, vending machines are an interesting one. I like, I guess my first thought, um, 
was, you know, what about the cleanliness of the machine itself in terms of touching that and, you know, cash? Uh, I understand they take cash or bank cards in there, but there's still that element of it to me, uh, you know, at, at first glance. But, uh, you know, certainly distribution of these uh, materials and these items uh, is, is incredibly important. I know many, many countries are struggling to even just have masks and wipes and different kinds of things. So, you know, restocking this thing, you know, how fr frequently is that done? Where are they getting the supply from? There's lots of questions I have, but the notion of certainly having this out there, you know, and available to people, you know, if stores are closed and things like that, uh, you know, I think is, a, is there's nothing you know, bad about it. It's certainly a good thing. Um, and, um, you know, um, yeah, check it out. I guess if you're if you're in Turkey, if you're in Istanbul, you're listening, watching, you've seen one of these things. Um, let us know what the experience has been like. If you have any concerns about it or not. Yeah, I think um, the vending machine, in terms of having access to it, is interesting. Like you said, obviously the cleanliness of the machine itself comes to mind. But more important for me was, well, great that there's a vending machine, but how do you how do you ensure that there's actually items available to go inside of the vending machine? Yeah. Seems to be the bigger problem, not necessarily the distribution is not the challenge, it, it seems, but it's more of the access to the actual goods themselves. Um, I've seen a lot of stories just in the past week or so of, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, people kind of raising their hands and saying that like we can help with this. So we saw um, fashion designer Christian Siriano, um, who I actually got to meet in person one time, which was really cool. I tried not to be like fangirl, but um, you know he volunteered and said like, hey, you know I have I have the I have the the staff set up to work from home already, um, so I can help you like making these masks. So he's been you know I think like, I don't know how many masks he was making. It was like a million or something crazy, but, you know, he has volunteered to make all of these medical grade masks and even some of like the little uh, boutique stores that I follow on Instagram and Etsy, like they've been volunteering making masks as well. So it seems like a lot of people are trying to kind of jump in there, but, um, you know, I think that it's great that everybody's trying to figure out like, how can we use our expertise to help with what's going on here? And so um, I think that it's great that they're at least trying to think along those lines. So we can't knock them for that. <laughs> mm, there you go. All right. Okay. Epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. And, you know, I think that that's kind of given the, the that area a very bad, you know, vibe, but there's a lot of positive things that it's known for as well, specifically this type of year in springtime um, usually marks a uh, a big influx in their travel and um, uh, thousands of tourists, uh, you know, will be traveling typically to Wuhan University to celebrate their cherry blossoms. So they are very well known for the cherry blossoms in springtime and you know, they're, they're these like pink, beautiful rivers of trees that are just, you know, beautiful. And obviously this year, um, the tourism and the ability to get to see them has really suffered. So Wuhan University is um, doing a live broadcast um, on Taobao, and that's in partnership with Fliggy, which is Alibaba's online travel partner, um, our travel platform. And so if you want to check it out, there's still a few days left. 
on Monday they went live and um, you can just go to Taobao and on their search bar on their main page put Wuhan University Cherry Blossoms. And so the live stream is running um, every day from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and it's going through March 26th. So you may be able to still check that out. But, um, you know, just the first day that they went live, they had like 300,000 viewers join, which is amazing. So I love that they're taking you know, a place that's kind of just been wrenched with heartbreak and, you know, disease lately and, and just showing something beautiful that's blooming there. Um, and that, you know, and it's also just such like a wonderful picture and story of hopefully what's going to be happening, um, you know, across the world soon as this virus dies out and everybody does their part with social distancing and doing the right things. And, you know, we're going to see new life bloom very soon. So I think this is a great story. And if you have a chance, definitely head over to Taobao and check out Wuhan University's Cherry Blossoms. Yeah, it's, um, it's a great time of year in that part of the world for uh, this type of, you know, absolutely beautiful thing. I know uh, two years ago, um, we had a LVMA event in Tokyo and Tokyo similarly at this time of year also has is well known for uh, for their cherry blossoms and uh, happened to be there uh, you know right during that time incredibly beautiful uh, thing to see um, and um, yeah I, I just I love that they found a way to still bring this to people even though people can't go there right now and uh, the good news is is um, I heard this morning on the news on, on the way in uh, that um, they're going to be lifting at midnight tonight the um, the sort of the quarantine on Hubei province, uh, which is where Wuhan is, uh, and then Wuhan itself, they're aiming, I think it's April 6th or 7th, to, to lift that uh, city uh, out of that uh, because the cases are dying off, things are moving in the right direction. Um, so uh, all encouraging signs there, um, but uh, just, yeah, I mean, a, a beautiful thing to see. Check it out online, go give them some, some love there, and, uh, you know, just it's something to brighten your day. So there you go. Um, take a look at the cherry blossoms and move on. Okay. Uh, our final story uh, for this week is about an Israeli startup uh, called Noveta, uh, N-O-V-E-T-A. Uh, they have an interesting technology uh, that they call smart audio bubbles. And they think it's a technology that uh, can uh, really work well in the world of digital signage. Um, and they're still sort of in uh, development and piloting uh, this, this uh, sort of technology from an R&D perspective. Um, but they have a, uh, an agreement uh, with uh, Chinese manufacturing giant Foxconn to make these uh, devices that look kind of like TV sound bars. And so these guys have been in, in this sort of audio sound space for a while. Uh, they're kind of more traditionally focused on sort of the home audio gaming type of uh, environment. But they really see a, an interesting way to use their technology for digital signage. And so the way it works is, is that using um, a combination of sensors, uh, uh, face, uh, face detection uh, through computer vision and things like that, they're able to, as somebody standing in front of a digital screen, uh, essentially, so picture you're kind of looking at a digital signage display and you're standing nearby it, um, and using computer vision and facial detection, they're able to kind of uh, see uh, where uh, your ears are. 
and then they can actually uh, deliver the sound, uh, the, the audio bubbles basically delivering the actual sound coming off of that, whatever it is that you're looking at, directly to a position just beside your ear. So instead of it just being sound broadcast, you know, kind of broadly and losing its, uh, you know, sort of the waves kind of just widely dispersing, it's, it's a focused way to deliver sound uh, directly to, uh, you know, where they see that your ears are essentially through, through the combination of sensors. Um, so it positions these little audio bubbles essentially with the intended sound uh, that's coming from the screen uh, right there beside your ears. So instead of everybody hearing it, it's really you know coming just to you uh, in a directional sound type of uh, framework. So really, really cool, fascinating technology. And if you move, it, it, it moves with you, essentially, because uh, it's following where your ears are. Um, so I think that's incredibly fascinating technology. Would love to learn more about it uh, and definitely can see the applications for, uh, for digital signage. Um, yeah. what, are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I found this interesting. I mean, I'm not sure what all the implications are with this technology yet. Like, what else could they do with it? You know, I feel like it's very, you know, early on something like this coming out. Um, I would assume there's tons of, you know, ways that it could be leveraged similar to like when AR first came out, it was like, oh, I could bring a soda can to life. And now we're talking about all of these different use cases for it. Um, you know, from an advertising perspective, it's almost like a little bit creepy to think about something just being there right by my ear, but it's also very interesting and it feels personal, right? So mm -hmm. like somebody just talking to you versus talking to everybody. Um, so I think there might be something there with this type of technology, but um, I don't know, TBD. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think there's huge potential for all sorts of focused audio alerts and messages and prompts and all kinds of things. Um, it fits really, you know, well into our world of kind of location-based uh, marketing and engagement and you know, very uh, hyper-local, personalized type of content. So, um, yeah, uh, super excited about the potential for that. Uh, we'll have to kind of see if, if we end up pulling off our... Uh, our conference in June, which is still planned right now uh, in, in Tel Aviv. Maybe we can get these guys out uh, uh, to participate. But uh, anyhow, we'll, we'll see if that happens. Um, all right, that's our four stories for this week. Um, as I said, we're going to shift over now and have a bit of a, just a open discussion uh, about um, location data and the implications and potential use of that uh, around helping uh, you know, this situation that we're all dealing with right now in the COVID-19 virus. I uh, wrote an article uh, last, or beginning of last week, uh, simply called COVID-19, uh, allaying privacy in favor of protection, uh, leveraging location data to slow the spread. Um, and I put that up on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, so if you're listening, following, go to my LinkedIn, you can, you can find it there. Um, and uh, really, I was just trying to kind of stir the discussion a little bit about, um, you know, with all that you and I, uh, Rianne, have been talking about on this show over the last year or more about, you know, more and more privacy regulation uh, from GDPR to the California Privacy Act to other legislation coming down the pipeline to other jurisdictions, you know, just getting stricter and stricter uh, around the use of location data, the collection of location data. Um, I, you know, I was wondering as I was watching um, a lot of the announcements coming from government leaders 
especially here in North America, um, you know, about enacting war measures type of, uh, you know, acts and policies uh, and frameworks, you know, getting manufacturers to shift production lines over to making masks and sanitizer and other kinds of things, um, you know, ventilators and so on, um, you know, emergency uh, uh, economic stimulus and, and other things going on. Uh, even even on the healthcare side in the U.S., waiving of HIPAA compliance uh, regulations, which is all about privacy of people's health uh, records, uh, so that medical uh, personnel and, and staff can actually just help people that are in need right now and not have to deal with you know a lot of the regulatory red tape uh, around that. And so what I was sort of just posing a question around is in this in these types of scenarios in, in these types of, of really global pandemic emergency uh, measures type of, uh, of scenarios does it make sense to allay our privacy and on, temp on a temporary basis around location data and use that data to actually uh, track the spread of the virus potentially slow the spread of the virus by understanding you know uh, you know, who's currently uh, been tested positive, uh, who they might be coming in contact with so that those people can get notified and so on and so forth. Um, so I'll just kind of start with that, um, kind of get your thoughts on it. And then, you know, I'll, I'll come back and provide some other insight. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as consumers, we want to really safeguard and hold tight to our privacy. But when there's situations like what we're dealing with right now, and the spread of a virus that's happening rapidly. And even if you don't know that people around you have been infected or that yourself have has been infected, I think that we have some, we have an asset that is very valuable to us. And it's the fact that most of us have a phone and a device that, we, that follows us around and is on us at all times. Um, and obviously, you know, for the past probably uh, almost two weeks, you know, we've been more, um, you know, staying in and, and it would be very easy for me to track exactly where I've been because it hasn't been very many places. But prior to that and, and prior to, you know, these um, social distancing, um, you know, kind of like laws that we've put in place for ourselves and certain cities have put in place for us here in the States, we've been you know, we were moving around and, and if you didn't know those, you know, you think of it on one side, like, well, what if it was, you know, me that was getting sick um, or I had the ability to know who else I have gotten sick or where did I get sick from or where did I spread that? I think all of us see the value there, right? There's no way that you can deny that. And even from maybe uh, an anonymous standpoint, it doesn't necessarily matter that it's me, Apriana Lopez, that you know maybe received the sickness uh, from someone or gave it to someone. What matters is that you know where it was transmitted and who all it was transmitted to, and being able to communicate that with people um, to let them know that maybe they have been compromised um, and what they can do about that at that point in time. I think that it would help us immensely. Um, in terms of help, you know, there's some of us who probably feel this, you know, panic and every tickle in our throat, we're like, <laughs> you know, is that what is happening? Um, but, you know, having that sort of surety in terms of knowing and, and seeing the movement and the pattern and data, um, I think is an amazing thing that we have. I mean, it, you know, you think back, like, 
you know, many years ago to some of the plagues and things that happened in history and that's something that they did not have, right? Um, you know, they were likely moving around a lot less just because there was less to move around and do and, you know, tr public transportation and transportation wasn't as common, but you look at things that spread and wiped out so many people, you know, they didn't have data that they could see. And now we have this wonderful asset that we can leverage. And so I do think that, you know, depending on who is analyzing that data and taking a look at it, that it makes sense for, um, you know, a third party maybe that, that consumers and government can both trust to analyze that and and leverage that right now um i wish that it would have this conversation would have happened you know at the very beginning that you know whenever these types of things happen this is what we can do um but i think there needs to be a plan in place for times like this to say like for the safety of humankind this is how we can use your data one to get in contact with you to know that you've been compromised or that maybe you were um, exposed to a virus um, and two, to help others um, who maybe have been in contact with you or someone else as well. So I think that it's a smart thing to have in place. Um, and I think there's ways that we can make everybody feel safe and still respected in terms of privacy, uh, by, but still allow, um, you know, from a public health perspective, the value that that we can provide from this type of data. Yeah, I, I'm completely uh, you know in alignment with you on that. I, I think there there is a time and place for this, which is what I was basically saying in, in, in this in this article. And and I think you know w one of my fears is that um, you know is is that you know from a political perspective, you know we we don't give enough value to this in, in this time. We're not thinking about it in the context of, of saving lives. We're more concerned about, um, it, you know, what the political implications are for, you know, for making these types of decisions. Um, and at this point in time, it, it can't be about politics. It has to be about saving lives. And I think, you know, like it or not, you know, many other countries have already, you know, taken this step to help, uh, you know, fight the battle. And, and, you know, China obviously, uh, you know, is, is one of those now, you know, we've talked about that many times about their privacy rules are much, you know, more lax, you know, on a general basis, you know, facial recognition is the norm there, and so on. But, you know, they've been working with Alipay and WeChat and others, um, and using data to help people uh, know that they might have been exposed, uh, and, and things like that. Um, you know, so it, it's certainly, it's certainly something that, um, you know, has been part of what they've been doing. In the case of WeChat and Alipay, what they've been doing is they've, they've been basically through the app broadcasting color codes. So to your point, it's not specific to the individual, uh, but they broadcast color codes. Basically, you know, if you get a red, it means, hey, you know, there's a good chance you've been uh, infected. You might want to go test it. You know, if you get a yellow, you know, you know, like all those kinds of things. So they're using color codes to kind of give people indications based on kind of their movements. South Korea has been all over this as well. Uh, SK Telecom uh, is actively working with the government, um, you know, to and the police uh, to try and contain the spread around this. Probably one of the, you know, the best cases in terms of um, success so far has been Taiwan. Um, so here's a country right beside China you know, millions and millions of people from a population perspective. And as of, I think, 
this week I've only there, there's only two people uh, have died uh, there um, in, in that country, and they from day one they've been using uh, the mobile location data to kind of track and warn people and, and uh, push messages to them and so on. And even the Israeli government last week uh, passed a law to allow the use of location data. And Israel is one of those countries that, you know, typically, you know, kind of has been quite strict on uh, on this type of thing. So the U.S. government is um, says they're talking to Amazon and Google and Apple and Facebook about this, uh, you know, in, in uh, trying to come to some sort of, uh, scenario where they can use data in partnership with the CDC. Personally, I think there needs to be more uh, of this. We need to be moving faster on this um, uh, in the same way that they can relax, relax the HIPAA laws. We, we need to, you know, to jump on this, but uh, that's, that's just my opinion. Um, and uh, you know, I, th I think the other, the other sort of sidebar related to this is that um, I want to applaud some of our members um, and, and, by no means am I aware of all of them, uh, but certainly companies like Unicast, uh, SafeGraph, and others have been opening up their data platforms to anybody who wants to use them uh, in a non-commercial uh, basis relative to uh, something to you know, help uh, alleviate the pressure on, on the spread of this virus as well. So there's certainly companies uh, out there uh, in our world uh, who are making their data sets available. Uh, you know, for, for research and for other companies to use this right now um, and uh, aren't holding back uh, from that. So, uh, you know, kudos to those types of companies as well. Um, any last thoughts from you? No, I mean, I think that if, if somebody asked me like, hey, can I have all of your location data over the past two months so that I, you know, we can help rule out who you've been in contact with or where things may have spread. I mean, I'm gladly like volunteering, you know, I volunteer to do that. And I think that most of us would, um, I don't think there's too many people who would be wary of doing that, especially if it's, you know, an anonymous as a whole, right? Like you mentioned, yeah. like there's a way to do this from a, with anonymity. Um, and in, in essence, that's what like your, you know, unique identifier or advertising ID does for you is it's not you, it's just a unique code to your device. So I think that, you know, if I, I think that there's a great way to do that. And obviously, I think the caveat should be like at the end of this, like we can sunset that data um, and not have to to use that again. Or, you know, we can only leverage it in these ways. Um, but I don't think there's any reason or hesitancy from, from, you know. Yeah. So that's it. Um, of, of people. Yeah, so, I think that everybody wants to be safe and they want to know. So, yeah. So take, take a look at the article on, uh, on my LinkedIn, uh, post there, uh, for listeners and watchers, uh, out there and, uh, you know, would love comments on it. You know, feel free to write comments, good or bad, uh, your thoughts, uh, whether you think what we're talking about makes sense or doesn't, uh, feel free to reach out to us on social media platforms, uh, all over the place, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, we're on all of those things. Uh, of course, we'll be back next week with uh, yet another show for you. Um, we thank you, obviously, for listening and watching. You've been listening to uh, episode number 457 of Location Weekly. Abriana, stay safe. Be well. Uh, we'll see you next week. Keep the red lipstick going. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, we'll talk soon. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,